it takes a lot. I mean, like my wife is an incredible person. I jokingly put something on Twitter a few weeks ago, like people who solo parent deserve some different kind of metal. It's insanity. When my wife's not here, I'm like, what? <laughs> like my son has ice cream for dinner. I mean, like it's, it's insanity and she does it all hockey season long. Hey guys, this is Coach K, and you're listening to the Making Changes, Breaking Barriers podcast, where we talk about you. This is about you, your mind, and your path. So welcome back to another episode. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks for being here. I'm really, really pumped about our guest today. So honestly, I'm not going to waste any time. I'm just going to jump right into it. That's how I like to do things anyways. So we're going to jump into our guest bio. So Madison Packer is the current captain of the Metropolitan Riveteers in the Premier Hockey Federation. Packer started her winning ways in high school when she won gold medals with Team USA at the 2008 and 2009 IIHF U18 Women's World Championships, scoring 20 points in 10 games across those tournaments. Madison then went on to play college hockey at the University of Wisconsin-Madison, where her and her team had great success winning a NCAA championship in 2011. Packer was named to the WCHA All-Academic Team in her senior season in 2013-2014. When she completed her collegiate career, Packer was one of just 19 players in Badger's program history to score at least 100 points. Madison continued the success in the Premier Hockey Federation, winning the Isabel Cup, which is the championship trophy in the PHF, with the Riveteers in 2018. In 2019-20, Packer finished fifth in the league, scoring 34 points, sharing the league lead in power plays, and became the first player to score at least eight goals in four consecutive seasons. A really cool stat I wanted to add, she scored two goals in the PHF Labatt Blue Buffalo Believes Classic, which was the first regular season outdoor game in league history, which is really cool. Madison is the Riveteers' current all-time leading scorer and is a six-time PHF All-Star. Outside of hockey, which we're definitely going to talk about today, Madison is the mom to two little kids, Waylon and Harlan, and loves spending every minute she's not on the ice with her wife and two kiddos. So with that being said, hi, Madison. Thank you so much for being with uh, us here today. Yeah, thanks for having me. Of course. So let's just go ahead and jump right into it. Um, your season ended in March, right? Yeah. Uh, beginning yeah. of March. Okay. That's what I thought. Cool. And, um, so what have you been up to the last month and a half since the season ended? Yeah. So it's been wild. I think every year when the season ends, it's a little bit crazy. Cause it's like my wife goes from solo parenting to having three kids at home. Um, <laughs> so it's just like an adjustment of schedules and whatnot, but we're actually down right now in Southwest Florida. We come down here for anywhere from six to eight weeks uh, in the off season and just kind of unwind and hang out. My wife's job is flexible, so she's able to work from just about anywhere. And this is our, the, you know, the start of our off season. So it's nice. Um, this year, I was fortunate enough to have some broadcasting opportunities. So I was back and forth from Fort Lauderdale. And then I went out to Arizona for the final and worked with ESPN and did that, um, the color commenting there. And then I actually had hip surgery about a month ago, so I was up in New York for that. So my my mother-in-law and father-in-law have been playing uh, uh, fill-in parents for us. So 
Um, but now we're, we've been, the family's been together for about a week. Uh, we're, we'll spend another week down here and then we're going to Disney World with my whole family on Friday. And then uh, we'll head back up home to Connecticut. Yes. I was going to say, I hope that you got some relaxation time after the season ended, which it sounds like you got maybe a little, but not a whole lot. It sounds like you've been doing a lot. So, Yeah, it's kind of crazy. We like to come down here because it's my in-laws have a place where about, you know, three miles from the beach and I like to ride my bike in the off season. And so we just like hang out outside and the kids love it. We actually found daycare this year for our son. So that's been helpful. Um, but once they're in school, we won't be able to do this, so we'll take advantage of it for as long as we can. It's a great way to just kind of reset and be outside and forget about hockey for a little bit. Yeah, exactly. That's awesome. Got to take advantage of that. It's nice your wife has the um, flexibility with work, too, to be able to do that. One of the things I actually wanted to talk to you about is some of the other things that you do um, besides hockey. And it, it that's, you know, you mentioned you had some broadcasting opportunities here after the season ended with ESPN, which is super cool. How did that go? What What was your experience like with that? And is it something that you could see yourself doing, you know, in the future as well? Yeah, it was a great opportunity. I had a ton of fun. Uh, super grateful to the league head office and Michael Cohen at Vista for the opportunity they gave me. Um, just kind of got connected to the right people at the right time and said I have some interest in doing it. I, I had a little experience doing stuff with radio when I was at Wisconsin. So uh, dip my toes in it a bit that you know all the people that I worked with were super helpful um, and it's a great time right now to be involved in women's sports in any capacity uh, and the broadcasting thing was super fun I, I was saying to my in-laws the other day like it's just crazy like I was there for work like it was a work trip I got you know study notes and get some feedback from people I have to learn all these facts and names and learn about the players in a different way uh, but like not for a second of it that I feel like I was working it was just was so much fun to talk hockey and hang out and watch the game from a different perspective and get to pick it apart in different ways. So I really enjoyed it. Um, hopefully I did a good enough job that a few other people will get an opportunity too. And um, we need more women in the booth. So. Yeah, we'll exactly. That That's awesome. Good for you for putting yourself out there to do that. Was it something that made you nervous at all or was it really just excitement and, and having a great time with it? Oh my God. So nervous. So it was nervous. like, <laughs> yeah, so nervous. Like I, I have a lot of anxiety to begin with, but then like, I don't know. It's just different. Like you're sitting on the bench, like just talking back and forth with teammates. It's the exact same thing. You just, I mean, it's so easy really. I mean, and that's not taking away from anyone that does it. I think it's easier when you have the experience as a player. Um, but, but then it's just so different because you're not sitting in a bar having a conversation, you're not sitting on a bench having a conversation. You're trying to find the blend between, okay, I'm talking to like diehard hockey fans and I'm also talking to the newcomer who I want to come back. Um, but it was super, super fun. And, um, really enjoyed it. Yeah. I always find, you know, even doing this podcast that I relate it back a little bit to, you know, athletics and, and playing college basketball and, and that I would get some nerves before a game or something like that. But the difference I find, I don't know if you experienced this is that whenever I, the game would start and maybe this came with experience, but it was like the nerves all left. Like I never remember feeling nervous in a game, even if I was stepping up to shoot a free throw at the end of the game or whatever, like it, you never, I never felt that during the game. But when I'm doing speaking, it's like those nerves don't really, I mean, maybe they go away a little bit, but they seem to stay there, which I, which I felt was an interesting thing. Maybe it came with experience. I'm, you know, still working on that. Yeah. I think it's, especially for me, like playing hockey, you're like on the other side of the glass with a mask on in a uniform. Like I'm such a different person on the ice than I am off the ice. I'm actually a little more reserved and shy and quiet. Like 
when you're calling a game, you, all you're thinking is I'm live. I can't mess up. Like the nice part was when I got there, like they kind of talk you through it a little bit. Right. And then the, for, for us, at least the first time we did it when it was ESPN, it was different, but the first time we did it for Nesson, it wasn't live. So they were like, Hey, if you mess up, like we have one more try to get it right. Then if we mess up again, okay, then it's, then we have to go live and like, there's no more do-overs, but you have a yeah. little bit of time to play with. And I never messed up on the intro but I think it was like knowing that, okay, if you do mess up, like you haven't, you, you have a second chance. Um, but yeah, it was, it was fun. Yeah. And again, I think just as you do it more and more, I mean, even, even when the mess ups happen, you probably just get back on your feet so much faster and stuff like that. I watch, yeah. I already referenced basketball one time, but I'll reference it again. I watch like NBA today and watching those women and men on that, those, um, broadcasts, you know, just make jokes with each other and be so quick on their feet. I'm like, dang, this is impressive. But again, just comes with experience. So anyways, yeah. that's, that's a very cool, exciting, uh, new venture you're going down and I'm excited to, you know, see you on ESPN more. So that's, that's awesome. Obviously you have an amazing hockey career. I mentioned a lot of that in your bio, but I'm, when I'm looking at your social media, your little kiddos steal the show. I will say they're pretty adorable and your family in general is just awesome. So I'm excited to hear more about your experience as a mom and as an athlete. So in September of 2020, you and your wife welcomed little baby Waylon into the world. First of all, what was that like with it being the heat of the pandemic and with your season being on hold, I believe, but correct me if I'm wrong. And I'm, um, you know, I'm sure that time was just filled with a lot of emotions. Yeah. I think even now, just like thinking back and like talking about it sometimes is a little emotional, but it was crazy. Like we went from, so my wife and I worked, it's like, a, it was a running joke until Harlem was born. Everything in our life happened in 13 month in increments. So we met, and then 13 months later, we got engaged. 13 months later, we were married. 13 months later, Waylon was born. Um, and then obviously between getting, so it's kind of crazy because we almost didn't get married when we did. We were like, we, we wanted to get married, but we found this place my wife wanted to get married in Newport, Rhode Island. And I didn't really care where we got married. So I just want to get married on the water. And they had, by the time we had found it and picked the place, they had no Saturdays left for the whole summer of 2019. And she was kind of hung up on that. And I was like, let's just get married on Friday. Like, I mean, we both were hung up on it. And I, I was like, let's just get married on Friday. It's less money. We can have a longer weekend, you know, to party with our friends. Cause we ended up then doing Thursday to Sunday. Um, but if we hadn't done that and we had, we had went with the date that we really wanted the next summer, we wouldn't have gotten married and we, like everything would have been different. Right. But so that's just kind of crazy part. But then, so she gets pregnant with Waylon, the pandemic hits, life is crazy. I couldn't go to the doctor appointments. Like, so it was kind of surreal because I always say like, it didn't really become real for me until he was born. And then I just panicked. I was like, Oh my God, what do I do with this thing? <laughs> like, this is a baby. It's, it's like your whole life changes in such an immediate drastic way. Like I just, I remember when he was born, I was in the hospital and I looked at Anya and I was like, I'll be right back. Like it was, it was, you know, hours after he was born, he was in the nursery or something. I just got in the car and drove like disappeared for like an hour and a half and just drove around because I was like, this, it's such a crazy thing. Like this little human being who in two days you're going to take home and like, you have no idea what you're doing. As far as we knew the world was ending. I'm like, why did we do this? Like it's just, and you can't help. There's nobody that can help. And then, you know, COVID's there and we were super, super careful and cautious. And then about two weeks after he was born, so you were correct that the season 
the season prior got shut down because of COVID. So we had the all-star game in Boston. And then I think there was a week, a week or two of games. And then right before the final, the whole thing shut down. There was no Isabel cup final that year. Following season, we go into the bubble. So, but the way that the bubble was, um, you'd go to practice every week. So it, it was like a controlled environment, but not entirely. Uh, you know, people still had to live their lives to some degree. We didn't have the money to lock everyone down the same way that the men's teams did. And so we're taking all these COVID tests as no, like nobody really knew what was going on. Like looking back, no one had any idea what they were doing. And so two weeks in, we, uh, we get exposed to COVID. And then that was when it was like, you have to quarantine for 15 days if you've been exposed at all. And that happened twice in the first three months that Waylon was alive. So I spent, you know, 50, 50% of his first three months away from him. And then I think he was five months old when we went into the bubble. And then I got COVID in the bubble. Um, and then actually right after the bubble, my best friend's brother passed away really suddenly. So then I was, you know, for a month was away dealing with that. So like the first seven months of his life was COVID combined with all this time of me being away. And I think that that changed kind of how I approached when Harlem was born. Like I, I made sure that I was much more attentive and like really focused on being there for things. Cause I realized how much I had missed because of that. But I also like on the flip side, COVID was horrible in those ways, but it also gave me so much time that I never would have been able to spend with them. So like, it's hard because both of our kids will for their first year, we've been able to figure out a way to keep them home with us. And that's, you know, five years ago, people weren't doing that. They were, they had babies and then they had to go back to work. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's a blessing and it's not, but um, it's been crazy. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that, that, that's a lot. When, when was Harlan born? Harlan was born in August of 20, uh, 2022. So, so Waylon was born September 8th. Harlan was born August 31st. And my poor wife had just had both times the most miserable pregnancies, like only could eat pasta and bread was sick the whole time. And uh, Harlan's due date was August 31st. Waylon's due date was like, I don't know, September 13th or something. So he was a week early. So when you've had a baby a week early, like to wait to the due date is just torturous. Like that should, that shouldn't happen. <laughs> but so Anya was pregnant through, through, through this both summers. Like, and we tried to time it the second time. So she wasn't, and it, it was a little more difficult the second time around. So she ended up like, she didn't want that. She didn't want to be pregnant in the summer ever again. But so then we get to August 30th at like midnight going into the day that Harlan's supposed to be born. And she just has a total breakdown. And she's like, I, I really want her to be born in August. Like, I don't want them to share a birthday month. Like, I'm like, why did you wait till today to share that with me? Like we have, we have 24 hours to work with. So I called the doctor, like this whole thing. We get to the hospital, 8 a.m., no baby. Noon rolls around, no baby. 5 p.m., 8 p.m., 9 p.m. Finally, my wife gets like this like crazy look in her eye. She's like, get the doctor. <laughs> I'm like, okay. <laughs> Two hours later, Harlan's born at like 11.58 p.m. on the 31st. Wow. I think it was was like 11.23. So not only is she pregnant, just all summer long, but then I I know you start playing um, games in October, like, but when does like training camp or when do you guys meet up to start like practicing for the season as a team? So now we start earlier, right? Because now there's more involved. Um, Last year we started camp. I think like, I think Harlan was born the 31st, I think we had our first meeting on the 5th or something. 
Like it was pretty immediate to after yeah. her being born. Yeah. So both both times almost it was like you were jumping right into things a little bit differently. Obviously the COVID year, but um, yeah, that timing was tough. Yeah, with Waylon it was different because also with Waylon we were practicing at night, and we were only practicing twice a week. So when Waylon was born, we were practicing twice a week at night during COVID. Um, so it was a little easier and like okay. a little more manageable. Um, with Harlan, it's a lot more work for my wife because we practice four days a week at nine o'clock in the morning and then we lift after. So I'm gone for more of the day. Um, mm-hmm. But it's nice because I'm or like I'm gone for like more time when the, like there's movement needed for like to get Waylon to daycare or whatever. Um, but I'm also home for like, as soon as he's home from school, like we have dinner every night as a family and that's not something that we've had ever. So, yeah. Oh, that's not, I'm sure that's time that you guys very, really very much values. And I already prepped you for this question and, and you said it was okay. So I feel comfortable asking it, but what was that process like for you and your wife with having Waylon and Harlan? Meaning what process did you guys take to, to have the kids? Yeah. So my wife had both kids. Um, we, we talk um, a lot kind of about our decision-making and the why. Uh, we both were raised and grew up in houses with a non-biological parent. Um, so Anya was raised by a dad that you know ha- doesn't have a biological connection. My older brother has a different mom than I, but we were all raised in the same house together. Um, and it does, does, has never really seems to matter. Like that's not to me what um, being a parent means, I guess. Uh, and, and there's obviously a lot of different ways that you can go. Um, I still am, you know, pursuing my athletic career. Um, Anya was really passionate about wanting to be pregnant. I had no desire. Um, so we went through the process of trying to find a donor. Um, and we started talking about it, like, before we got married, because I wanted to marry someone that wanted to have kids. Um, and then actually when we were on our honeymoon was when we started looking at donors But there's like a lot of testing and things that involved, um, which is why same-sex couples have to wait so long to have kids. It's actually super messed up. And like, I think that there need to be more resources for people who want to have families because it should not be as expensive as it is and it shouldn't be as limiting as it is. My wife's employer is phenomenal. They give us $50,000 per person for, um, it it actually wasn't a benefit that went into effect until after we had Waylon, but um, so like, we're fortunate that, you know, my, my wife and I are in a situation where we can afford to do that at the age that we can, it, it limits a lot of people from having kids. And then the process becomes harder, right? Because the older you get, the harder it is. And then it's more expensive because now it's a lot harder and the testing is a lot more involved and invasive. Um, but so we picked a donor kind of based on things that like were important to me a little bit and like how we could kind of mirror making a family, um, it's crazy though, because you could also get like super selective in the process. So it's a little like playing God. Um, but we tried to be kind of as like natural, I guess, as possible. Um, one th- big thing that played a part into it in for us was um, the mental health aspect. And just like, it's crazy what they can do now as far as genetic testing and things. And um, so we picked, you know, kind of some stuff that would try to help ensure that our kids would not have some of the same struggles that my wife has had. Um, And then we just kind of went from there. Then it's just a process of trying and waiting and trying and waiting. Um, We were, we had a little bit of difficulty the second time around, but we were pretty fortunate in uh, our experience. A lot of families try for 
a really, really long time. Um, but we had a really good group of doctors and we've got two perfectly healthy, happy kiddos now. So that's very blessed. awesome. Yeah. That, I'm so happy for you guys. And, um, like I said, I mean, you guys, from what I'm seeing on social media are such a cute little family. So that's awesome. And, and just, I'm curious cause my wife and I have a little bit of experience, you know, now trying to have kids so far. And did you guys jump right into the IVF process right away or did you try IUI to start or just went straight into IVF? Yeah, we didn't, we were fortunate that we didn't have to go that path. We didn't, we didn't explore it initially because we weren't, you know, there was no, I didn't want it. We weren't going to use my egg and we didn't have to uh, go down that path. And then, um, you know, we were blessed that it didn't have to get to that point. That's, you know, a lot more complicated and a lot more invasive and a lot more expensive. Um, but that's, yeah, one, you know, benefit that if we ever did want to explore that, like there's a pretty substantial financial aid available to us in order to, to do that process. And, and being a professional athlete and, and you have been for years now, did, did you connect that at all to being a mom? I mean, you talked, you talked about how you knew you wanted to be a mom and you wanted to find a, a wife who wanted to have kids as well. And when you thought about combining that with being a professional athlete, did you just always feel like it would fit and those th two things go together? Or did you ever feel like, Oh, this is a pretty unique challenge that I'm going to be faced with? Or I know you don't have your season doesn't go year round. So in a way that's actually maybe an advantage, but yeah. What was your thought process there? I guess I didn't really th like think fully about it until it was like happening. Like I always yeah. knew I wanted to have kids and then, um, you know, I didn't like, I was just knew I wanted to have kids. And I, you know, until I met Anya, it wasn't like that was going to be something that was real. So I didn't think about like, I guess the intricacies of it all. And then I met her and it was like, okay, how do we make this work? And it's just like, like everything, she just figured it out. <laughs> like, and then it just kind of started happening. So I think if I had put more thought behind it, I'd be like, okay, what's this going to look like? How is this going to work? I don't know. I probably would have like psyched myself out, but cause it's a lot, it takes a lot. I mean, like my wife is an incredible person she does. I don't, I joke, I jokingly put something on Twitter a few weeks ago, like people who solo parent deserve some different kind of metal. It's insanity. When my wife's not here, I'm like, what? <laughs> like my son has ice cream for dinner. I mean, like it's, it's insanity and she does it all hockey season long. And then also the rest of the year when she's not gone on her, like, very few work trips that she takes when my season's not happening. Like it's incredible, but it just, she just figures it out. And then we kind of roll with the bunches and then I take over when I have to. And it's just like, we, it's a village of people, my teammates, my parents, her parents, like our, all of our friends, my teammates are super, super helpful. We've got someone living with us next year. Who's Kennedy Ganser is going to help out with the kids a little bit. Like it takes a village. It would be impossible. People who say that they do it on their own. There's no way. I mean, it's just, everybody helps. <laughs> and I imagine it's just such a learning curve too, especially like in these years, like every few months is probably different. And as they, you know, learn new things and as they're starting to walk and they're eating new foods and all these things, you're just like always learning and having to change. And especially even maybe during your hockey season, I mean, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but you're gone a bit more than in the off season. And so all of a sudden you come back and it's like, whoa, okay, now they do all these things and we're in this new routine. Oh, it's crazy. And like, also like, I guess off topic, but on topic, like being a parent now is terrifying. I mean, I, I have nothing to compare it to, I guess, but like, I remember the things I did as a kid and the things I could do 
no way. Like whether you should, whether, you know, your parents should or shouldn't have let you do them. Like there's the things that you can't, that like can happen now. And like, it's just, it's terrifying. So trying to do all of that and trying to know what's right and wrong and trying to know, you know, what they can and can't do and whatever combined with I'm here, I'm there, Anya's here and there. We do things differently. How do we support each other? How do we raise these kids in this crazy messed up world? Like it's insanity. And how have you and Anya been like supporting each other? Like what have you guys found that has worked during this insanely crazy time? My wife is not great about taking breaks or taking like a lifeboat, but um, she goes and gets her nails done with one of my teammates. Casey Anderson is one of her really good friends. So like she takes like little breaks like that. She goes to yoga once a week, like anytime that like I can like help her get out of the house, but she just was able, she went to Italy for a week with Kaylee Fratkin from the pride. Um, So they were in Italy for a week and got a little bit of a break. She's able to go back to traveling right now a little bit for work, which I think she like didn't realize that she missed and she's out back on the road again. So um, she doesn't do nothing well. So she likes working. So like a work trip for her is actually a break for her, I guess. Um, But we go for bike rides too. Like when we're down here, it's nice to just get out of the house. And it sounds like you have the in-laws there. Do they kind of lend a hand in that sense that you guys are allowed, you know, can get out for an hour or something like that? Yeah, just the other night, actually, uh, the um, NCAA coaching convention is happening down here in Naples, which is, that's where we're at. Um, and so a few of our friends, uh, Kelly Nash, who I played at with, uh, with at Wisconsin and on the ribs, and then a few other players that I played on the ribs with, uh, were down here for the coaching convention. So we got together and watched the Bruins game and the Islanders game. So yeah, it's fun. It's like, I'm around more too. So we get to like, there's more time to spend time. So it's been fun. Okay. Well, I want to transition a little bit. I wanted to get into a little bit more about social media because you're obviously on social media on, on Instagram and Twitter. And so I, I was curious, I was looking through some of your posts and pictures and stuff like that. If you know, what having a social media presence basically means to you. And I guess if you have thought deeply about why you do decide to share, uh, share things about yourself and share things about your family on social media. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's really hard. Um, especially now because I think social media is terrible, but on the flip side, I think that social media is great and can be used for positivity. But because social media is being used in like two so drastically different ways. Um, But like the the running joke is like when I go, I go talk to kids sometimes about like bullying and mental health, et cetera. Nobody ever puts a bad day on Instagram. Like not as a, not like as a real thing, like maybe as like a joker on your like burner account, but like nobody puts like the picture of their coffee that they left on the top of their car or like their phone or losing their wallet or like, right. Like having a crummy day but we all have really crummy days. And like, if people were more honest in their like experience with each other, like you would recognize that like that time that you walked into class and your skirt was tucked in the back of your backpack, wasn't that big of a deal. But like to 15 year old me at an all all girls Catholic school, that was like life ending. And those are the decisions that some of these kids are making because they feel like, oh my God, I can't believe that like you talk to my best friend's boyfriend behind my back and then they smear each other on social media. And the reality is like in five years, you won't remember half the kids that were in your English class 
I don't. I can't get. I can't name fifteen kids I went to high school with. I can't I only even went name to high school, school teachers. I think so. Yeah. Like I only went. I only went to high school with like two hundred kids. I mean, if that. Like, so it's just like this craziness that that we've created on social media and these imperfect like or these like unachievable levels of perfection, right? But on the flip side, it can also be used for positivity. Like it can also be used, like I, I like slowly have gotten more comfortable using social media because of my wife and, and her like showing me how you can use, how using your voice, even just in like small increments and in, in communities can make a real difference. And I, so I started by talking about mental health and I've made a lot of big strides and a big difference there. It's something that I'm super passionate about, but also like the, everything that's going on with the LGBTQ plus community right now. It's actually horrible. Like, like politics aside, like it's inhumane the way that we're treating other humans. And so you have to give people a way to connect with each other because there are people who, again, are sitting at home thinking that their life has no value because they're reading things that people are writing online. Like they need to also see that there are people online who like, absolutely like condo- like condemn that and, and think that that's horribly wrong and stand with those people and like there has to be a balance in between but we don't we just don't we're at one extreme or the other and so what what was meant to be like a way for people to connect and find like that's what it was meant for right like what was it myspace and facebook like way way back it was meant for, to, for people to have a sense of community to connect with one another i mean facebook was created by a loser with no friends now he's a billionaire. He created Facebook to connect with people online. I and I think and I think that connection should start with people being authentically themselves on on those platforms because if if they're not, then when they make those connections, then immediately those connections aren't really real, right? Because if you're just being someone that you're not on social media and then you're connect, you know, then it then it's not authentic in that sense. I I think about I don't know if this is what you were referencing, but I think about even the transgender community and, and all the terrible things that are happening there. Again, politics aside, but I hope I don't sound naive in saying this, but you know, the way social media works nowadays, the more you look at something, the more those same type of accounts are going to come up on your social media and, and whatnot. Right. And so for a long time, I feel like what I've been seeing in terms of the accounts I follow from transgender people is really awesome. Like most of the time it's spreading so much positivity, so much more purpose in their lives because they have gone through that transition and now they're finding ways to be so much healthier, whether that's through fitness or other avenues. And so I've really loved following some of the people in those communities. And, um, and I feel like in that way for me, it's really positive, but also, but obviously there's also the flip side, you know, people who are, deciding to see a lot more negativity on social media. And then that's all that they see, right? Which creates a whole different experience for that person using the same exact platform. Yeah. And there's also targeted marketing, right? Like again, not bringing politics into it, but politics play a part in it in there's targeted marketing. So then those people see certain things on both sides of the equation and it just creates this like way bigger issue. Like, I, I guess I was talking to somebody about this the other day. I was like, I guess I just was super naive or the world has changed like so drastically. But like, when did we start caring so much about what other people did? I mean, seriously, right? Like aside from harming me or harming someone else, like I don't care. Just don't break the law and wash your hands. 
Like, right? Like, I mean, like wh what somebody else does, as long as it's not bringing harm to me or my family and impacting me in a negative way, I don't care. And I know that's a na naive way of thinking at a, of it, but like some of the things that we're talking about are absurd. And like, I mean, like this, this, I was reading this thing the other day about these, and I, I, I don't know all the details, right? But like these kids that, that they're saying, okay, well, we will allow you to check, like, like to lift kids' pants up to check, like, if they're a boy or a girl in kids' sports. Oh it, it was some article, like, and it wasn't, it wasn't a lie, it, but it was like, right, I don't, didn't see the whole bill. That's probably like such a tiny, tiny part of whatever this whole big thing is. But it's like, they're kids. I think kids should play, I think kids, there should be, they should all play the same sport, the same sex, doesn't matter until they're 12. They're kids. If you've got like some superstar that's going to make it in the NHL, then they should be playing up with the 14-year-olds anyways. But that's like to point. ruin youth sports over something that, that doesn't matter. Four days ago, Waylon woke up and told us that he was a dragon. <laughs> like to ruin kids, like, like sports are meant for kids to make friends, to have a place to play. Don't bring all these other things into it. It's not about that. Okay, at the pro level, at the college level, you want to have the conversations. Let's have conversations. But kids, shut up. Let them play. I agree. I was having the same conversation as well. And it's like, I think that when we're trying to make this a bigger issue, there's a bigger issue when it comes to the perspective that it's the adults for the most part are taking into this situation. Even going to, again, back to your family and obviously you, you share about your family on social media. Like, do you feel like that has been a, yeah, a positive thing for you even sharing, Hey, this is an example of what a queer family can look like. Yeah. I mean, I think that I don't know. It's just, it is, it's who we are. Um, I think it's important for people to see that, you know, we, it, it's funny the number of times that we get comments about it, I guess, like po positive ways, like, Oh, you guys are such a cute family or you're so happy or whatever. Like it's important for people to see that you can have that and that you deserve that. Uh, and that that doesn't look like maybe what we've always been taught that that looks like. Um, and I don't know, we're, we're happy. So <laughs> yeah, going to see lot, lots more of the kiddos. Awesome. Awesome. In the mental health side of things and mental health awareness, you mentioned finding the space to talk about that more and showing your face in that space. Do you mind me asking, you know, obviously I know that that's just an important thing in general. And I think especially in the sports world, that is something that has been talked about a lot more in recent years, which is a really positive thing. Where does that passion come from for you? Yeah. So the last like, you know, six or so years i've lost a lot of people really close to me to both suicide and accidental drug overdoses and um it wasn't until i lost a, a childhood friend of mine to a drug overdose that i was like what is going on like i didn't know what any of that meant i didn't you know i started doing all this research and i was like completely mind blown about this thing that was like i'm like really into i'm like super into crime i'm a crime buff so like i'm all things law and order etc and all of a sudden, like, like I'm noticing that it's all over, you know, all these shows have all these overdoses. And I'm like, what is this thing? So I start doing all this research and um, it's the leading cause of death in our country right now for people under the age of 50. Wow. I don't know a single person who openly that uses drugs. So I'm like, that's, how is that possible? You start, mm -hmm. I start looking into it. It's true. And it's, it's like, okay, this is connected to what, what, how, like, also people the sec the second leading cause of death for people at like aged i think 18 to 35 or something in there that's not exactly right but is suicide so those are two things that 
nobody's talking about when they go grab a beer with their buddy. That is the leading cause of death for people my age. And it's was, you know, I'm from a town where with a lot of money with, you know, people, our parents worked really, really hard to give their kids a really good life. But then you go out into the real world and, you know, you know, everyone I grew up with drove a BMW and Audi and Mercedes. Like that's what mom and dad gave you. Well, then you get into the real world. (laughs) I grew up in Birmingham, Michigan. Okay. So you get out in the real world and it's like, wait, I'm getting paid how much money to do what job? Like I have to live where? Like you realize that, that life is really hard and it's not just the monetary aspect of things. It's finding a community for yourself when you're no longer part of a sports team. It's, you know, now all of a sudden you're, you don't have to go to school. You don't have to this, you don't have to that. Like, where do you live? What do you do? You know, what does the rest of my life look like? And I think that that for people in my community really hit hard. And um, so lots of people, adults, kids, it just became a big problem over the last five or six years. And so I got involved after my friend passed away. His parents started this foundation, the Capabon Foundation. I did some fundraising stuff with them. And the more I talked about it, the more people around me, a lot of players in our my league were like, hey, thank you for talking about that. You know, I know this person or like, I realized that it, it was super prevalent. There just was nobody talking about it. And um, I think that sometimes too, in talking about it, it creates controversy, which is not necessarily a bad thing. Like there are people that are uncomfortable talking about it. There are people that, that are bothered by the fact that I talked about it. Um, but I think that that's an important part of talking about it is educating one another. Like, hey, why does it offend you that I talk about that? There was someone that disliked the fact that uh, I did an interview for the league where I said that um, addiction is a disease like cancer and they didn't appreciate my comparison. And I was like, okay, well maybe oh, I'm, I apologize if the cancer aspect was offensive, but it is a disease. Like nobody chooses to wake up and be addicted to drugs. That is the comparison I was drawing is that those people need the same care that we give people who are dying from heart disease. They need resources and treatment, etc. So I think that, also like drawing attention to what we're doing away from the rink is a part, a big part of what we do. And um, that is maybe the most important thing aside from being a parent that, that I'm working on now is, is driving awareness and bringing resources to people that really need them. Is the PHL involved in that at all? Is there any current initiatives that are, you know, related to the mental health health side of things or overdose awareness? Yeah, so my uh, last season when my wife was a GM, a part of what I put in my contract was I wanted to have a mental health awareness game, I guess two seasons ago. Um, and and the Riveters agreed to do that. We did it. It was awesome. Um, we raised a bunch of money for, uh, I think we donated it to the Heron Project. Um, and then, so this season, again, we did another mental health awareness game and actually other teams across the league did it as well. Um, and that was kind of the cool thing too, is like when we did it, other teams were like, hey, like why basically like why do they get to do that and we don't um so you know it's been cool to see the number of other people there's a lot of people across the league and in, in my, on my team as well that are really passionate about it um i think that for a while people just didn't know how to start the conversation and the league has definitely given us a platform to use our voice to talk about it and i think you're so right it is something that so many people are uncomfortable to talk about and i think the reality is it is uncomfortable it's not let's not you know 
it's not just roses and flowers, you know, it is something that is a very, very tough thing that is happening in our society. And like you mentioned, it's, it is very prevalent and yeah, it's just really hard to talk about, but that doesn't mean that it shouldn't go on un, untouched. I mean, this will be episode 34, so not completely new, but relatively new. And part of the purpose behind starting this podcast was just to put more, I guess, energy out into the world that was talking about our mind and how our emotions work and how our thoughts work and how we can better handle them and how we can you know, change your life if that's what you want and hearing about other people's experiences doing that and all of that, right? So I think that is tied into mental health in, in a big way. And, you know, the reason that this is one of my passions is because it is something that I struggled with for so long. I think a lot of times that is how these things work where, you know, people become coaches because they had a really good coach or people, you know, want to raise awareness with mental health because they're dealing with mental health issues themselves, or they've had someone really close to them who has passed away because of mental health or something along those lines. But yeah, thank you for the work that you're doing with that. I, I think that it is much needed. And I just hope, like I said before, I think that, you know, even going back to like Kevin Love in the NBA years ago, you know, writing his article in what was it the athletic or is it the players tribune? I'm now forgetting players tribune players, players tribune, tribune. Yeah. Um, about the mental health issues that he dealt with just having one player come out and talk about it, um, started this whole trickle effect. And it, I find it interesting. Even years later, you hear a, a guy say, well, because of Kevin love, I realize I can reach out for help. So let's transition a little bit. Let's talk about hockey a bit. Cause we haven't gotten to that yet. So what does, from a hockey perspective, what does this off season look like for you? And yeah, then we'll get into next season, but what does this off season look like for you? Yeah. So I had uh, hip surgery about a month ago, um, just a little cleanup. So, um, I'll start training again. I've been working out, but my like Full recovery is a couple weeks away, and I'll start working out pretty hard at the end of May, and then all through the summer. Uh, I've got a new training buddy that I can't announce yet because it's not announced yet, but I've got a new buddy that's coming to train with me uh, at the gym with the ribs that I'm pretty excited okay. about. Um, and, yeah, it'll be fun. I'm really excited about the team next year. Um, we've got a pretty good roster. We've got a few big announcements that'll come out hopefully in the next couple of days or weeks. Um, it's always tough. You know, it's always hard because a new team means that there's been change and um, it's hard to see friends go. It's hard to see people that you care about, you know, whether it's their careers over or they're moving to a different team or a different league, whatever it is. It's always a weird feeling. Cause like, it's hard to be excited about the new without feeling sad about the old or the past. I shouldn't say old. Um, but it's, I'm excited. This is as excited as I've been in a long time. Um, obviously we fell a little bit short last year, uh, in the wins column, but I was, um, it's cliche and like easy to say when you lose, like, Oh, I'm so proud. But like, <laughs> I was super proud of that team. We had 17 new players. Um, and the way that we went on a tear at the end, I think just goes to show the power of chemistry. It was like a light kind of flipped on in the end of January. We went from liking each other to loving each other. Um, and, you know, from day one, we had a really, really good group. Uh, maybe the first team I've been a part of ever that, that didn't have 
you know, at least once or twice, somebody pulling in a different direction. Our whole team just was straight away from the get. Uh, just took a little time. So really uh, excited about the new group that's coming in. Um, I think we've got a chance this year, so I'm excited. That team culture piece, I mean, is so big. I mean, you mentioned it, you know, you might have fallen short in the wins column, but sometimes a season's not necessarily about that. I mean, I hate to say that because I'm, you know, again, a competitor to myself, but sometimes there is so much more behind it. And when you have 17 new players, I mean, figuring out how you guys are going to play with each other on the court, how you guys are going to communicate with each other off the, sorry, on the rink, off the rink, um, you know, is a whole feat in and of itself. So I'm, I, I'm sure that is very exciting to know. Like we kind of figured that part out, and so next season we almost just get to go out and play hockey. You know? Yeah, I mean, I said like I've said this before to people. If anyone thought that we were going to take a team that had a new president, a new GM, seventeen new players, a new goalie coach, a new like home rink, if anyone thought we were going to take that situation and then convert it into an Isabel Cup championship team, they need a lesson in goal setting. And that's like not being funny or being like, okay, yeah, like maybe there was some like miracle team the one time that did it. But like also keep in mind, we're a women's hockey team on a women's hockey budget. So we only have so many, so much, so many resources, so much time we can spend together. Like, yeah, if you could move us all into like a facility where we're bonding and hanging and like, but we're not, we're on buses and we're like, we're working out for a short snippet of time. Like, what we did was, I don't know. I thought that what we did was pretty incredible. Like it just also throw in the piece that we had people from Finland, Hungary, Sweden, Canada, like Czech everywhere. Wow. I mean, it was like, it was so wild and crazy and it was so frustrating. And then we're all like, look, we're, cause we're at the practice, right? Like we weren't playing badly. Like we weren't bad. It wasn't a bad hockey. It wasn't like a to- horrible team. It's just like, it's just like looking at it and you're just like, what the heck? Like, we're, we're up by three and then we all fall apart. Like we didn't know, we didn't trust each other because we didn't know how to. And then you start to trust each other. Everyone starts playing the way that they're supposed to. They play their game. All of a sudden it started to flow. It was super fun to be a part of. I learned a lot about being a teammate and a lot of, about being just part of a team, like in a totally different way. Super fun. I'm sure you grew so much as a leader and as a captain as well. I mean, think about yeah just thinking about the position that you were in with all those new people and and as seen as someone to kind of help facilitate all of that learning about each other and building the culture I'm sure you learned a lot about yourself and your uh, your leadership in those moments yeah it's always fun to like you learn you learn like you said you learn from everybody around you I enjoy learning from the younger players just because they have a different perspective they see things differently mostly teaching me how to accurately use technology but like <laughs> you learn a lot from from their perspective um i learned a lot also this year i learned a lot from mintu Gomenin. um just she's i think she's a little i think she's older than me maybe a year older than me but she played it i played against her at ohio state when she was at ohio state i was at wisconsin we played against each other so we just had a lot of similar career paths right like she was in the wcha the same time as me she played on the finnish national team for a long long time um and the one thing about like the one thing about the euro players is that like they're they're very literal like it's just like this is so there's no why it's just this is so and like so they're like the way they play like they're just they're taught to win and if they don't win whatever but like their job is to win and move on 
And so she was very regimented in her routine and the way she did things and very intentional about everything she did. And um, it made me a better hockey player because I realized how important routine was in everything in my, you know, whether it's the way I go to bed, the way, like the way I prepare for the game, what I do on an off day, it became something that I paid more attention to. And it helped me a lot. I want to go into this off season training a little bit more. You mentioned you have a new training partner who we can't mention. That's totally fine. But what does that training look like? Meaning is that all facilitated through the Riveteers or is it something where you kind of figure it out? on your own with your training partner? So we have a strength and conditioning coach. His name is Walter Norton. He um, owns a gym up in um, Massachusetts and he does, it's funny. He trains like all the, like um, uh, the Wahlberg brothers and Ben Affleck. He trains like all those guys when they're doing the movies where they've got to get big and buff. But then he also trains a bunch of the Boston hockey teams and a bunch of Mm. NHL guys, et cetera. Um, so he trains, he's our trainer throughout the season, sends like a program down that we follow. Uh, we work out at a gym in uh, New Jersey together as a team throughout the season. But on the summer, yeah, like you're kind of on your own. You can be in New Jersey working out at the gym if you want. Um, but otherwise you're on your own and you kind of have the liberty. You can get a program from uh, from Walter or you can follow your own program. So like last summer, I followed a program from my trainer in, in Detroit Um and that's what I'm using right now as a program that she's given to me. Um, this, uh, when June hits, we'll start working out with this guy in Connecticut who is like very specific to hockey and um, is supposed to be pretty good and should be fun. It's, it's fun. It's in my opinion, it's more fun to work out in that environment because you've got somebody to work out with. Like last summer, Kendall Cornyn and I worked out all summer together, but um, I kind of bounced around a little bit and so did she. So it's like tough when you get, when you're not overlapped. Um, so I'm going to commit this summer to going into the gym because it just makes it easier to be with the same group and kind of competing against each other. I think that's a, a, an important part of like your routine and your workout to continue to have is the competitive edge because then you're going right into practice. I mean, now we'll go to camp and we'll go to practice every day and you're competing for spots. So, uh, it's good to keep that itch scratched in the gym. Yeah, for sure. And not to compare your, your pro athletics off-season training to my division three college basketball <laughs> off-season training, but I always thought it was an interesting thing that was different between division three and division one as someone who I trained all off-season long, whereas a lot of my teammates at the division three level were like off on the East coast doing internships or like overseas doing like really cool volunteer work, which is awesome. You know, it's kind of like part of why you become a division three athlete, but I had a little bit more of that like division one mindset where I was like, no, I'm going to focus on basketball all, all, um, summer long. Whereas, but I had to do it on my own because at, in, at the division three level, coaches actually aren't even allowed to work with the athletes in the off season. It's kind of, yeah, it's something that's not allowed so that there's not that expectation so that the division three athletes can actually go off and do other things if they want to. Um, whereas at the division one level, there is that expectation a lot of the time where athletes are coming back and they're working out in the training facilities and they have the strength and conditioning coaches and they're doing individual trainings with their coaches and all of that. But anyways, it reminded me of that because it does take a lot of, I know you're motivated, obviously you're with the success that you've had, 
but it takes that intrinsic motivation to be like, okay, I'm doing this program on my own. And obviously having that kind of partner to do it with or doing it in the facility with other people is, is helpful and just makes it a little bit more enjoyable too. Yeah. I think that's the bigger part. It's more enjoyable. Like, like last summer I had a really good summer of working out. My, my trainer gave me a really good program. Like I enjoyed going to the gym, but there were days where I would go and I was like, Oh, like I just got to get through it. And it's not fun to feel like that when it's like, when it's your job. So like, I just think it's more fun when you've got a group there that you're working with and it's people that are motivating you. And then when everyone's got the ick, you've all got it together and, you, and then you just do a fun farmer workout or something. So yeah. I'm, I'm super excited about it. And I think, I think as we continue to get more resources and like part of the reason too, that people don't always do this is like, it's expensive to get trainers on your own. It's expensive to invest in different programs, et cetera. But as you know, the investment in us has gone up and the resources have become more, we're able to, you know, have the connections to work with these people or have the resources to pay to work with these people. Um, so that's a big, big part of it. But I think you're also going to see, you know, there's a lot of players that are doing what I'm doing this summer. I've, I've seen a little bit of what Taylor Gerard at the Connecticut whale is doing. She's going to come back next season and have a killer year. And she, but it's because she just, you know, signed a big contract that allows her to be able to spend money or, or have partnerships that are meaningful with these other resources or these other yeah resources. And um, it's going to, correlate directly to a better product on the ice and it's just going to keep going up. So that's the goal. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm really excited to tune in next season and see how it all transpires on the rink. Um, but real quickly, before we completely wrap up, I do end every guest episode with a rapid fire round where I'll ask five questions. And the goal is for you to answer in one word to like one sentence max. Obviously, if you say more than that, then that's okay. But that's the goal. So I have the five questions ready. Are you up for it? Yes. Okay. Question number one, if you could be a professional athlete in any other sport other than hockey, which sport would you choose? Golf. Nice. That's funny. The last person I interviewed actually is a pro golfer who played hockey, but ended up not being able to play in college because of the amount of concussions she got. So there's a connection there, obviously. Number two, <laughs> what is the biggest challenge you are currently facing? Parenting. Number three, what's a song you can listen to on repeat? Bitter by Fletcher. Nice. Four, what is inspiring you right now about life? My kids. Five, what's the best advice you've ever received? Work for the moment that you can show them that you did. Oh, I like that. I had to like think about it for a second, but I like that. Awesome. Well, Madison, thank you so much for being on the podcast. I really appreciate it. This was really, really fun. And like I said, I'm really excited to tune in next season and, and see how it goes. Yeah. Thank you very much for having me. This was fun. Of course. Well, if um, you want to follow along with Madison and her family and her season, her hockey career, she is on social media. You can check her out on Instagram at mpacker14 or on Twitter. I'll link both of those things in the episode bio. You can also follow along with the Riveteer season, which won't begin until October, and but you can buy tickets on their website as well at riveteers.premierhockeyfederation.com. So I'll leave all of you with this like I always do. Changing your path will not be easy. It will be challenging. I'll say that over and over again, but it will be worth it. So I'll ask, do a self-check today. Are you on your path up your mountain? And if not, 
what path are you on? Thank <laughs> you.